Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. Very grateful for another conversation. This time, Michael Fancher is joining me. We're talking about overcoming addiction and eight concepts that he is workshopping for people with compulsive behaviors. I think this is a necessary, important, and relevant conversation, and I invite you to pay special attention over these next couple sessions because I think we're on to something really important, and I hope that you will join us in this conversation and discovery about it. We filmed, or rather we recorded this outside at a family campground, and so there may be some background noises there, but hopefully it won't be too distracting. And so with those things in mind, let's jump into a conversation about overcoming addiction. So the first thing I like to ask people whenever they come on my program is, who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? What do you do? You know, just in (laughs) case somebody's listening that didn't know who you are, because most people do. um, It's a pretty small podcast. But (laughs) but in case somebody didn't know you, who are you and where are you from? Who are your people? Well, uh, I'm Michael Fancher. Um, I am from all over, uh, but most right now we're in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area in Irving. Uh, we attend church at the Valley Parkway Church of Christ, formerly Denton County Church of Christ. That's right. People are still using that that moniker. <laughs> um, but uh, spent several years out in California. Grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. You have been Cincinnati, all over. Ohio. Yeah. You know, like a, yeah, I've been. I'm from all over. Okay. That's and why people say I have that muddled accent that they can't quite pin down. <laughs> <laughs> You've been married to Hannah for how oh many goodness, twenty. Um, got married in two thousand one. Make, make me do math. Just uh, after, um, just after nine eleven happened. Actually, it was really strange. What a strange time to to like be getting into a uh, sure a relationship sure. and a marriage. Sure, but um, so that twenty two years or so coming yeah, up on twenty two years. Will it'll it'll be twenty two in October? Okay, yeah. And you've got five children? Yes. Um, we started right away. We have uh, a, a 21-year-old, a 20-year-old, a soon-to-be 19-year-old, and two soon-to-be 17-year-olds. That's right. They're, uh, you're not quite an empty nester. No, not quite. Yeah, we're just kind of in that transitional parenting stage. Okay. So I'll have you back on in a few years, whenever you're an empty nester, to, you know, <laughs> to see how that write worked the book out. on how it went find the rest of the story yeah um so we've had a conversation off and on for a couple of years now yeah and that's why the motivation for this recording uh you have a, a study that you've been slowly working on called a culture of confession uh, i have some studies i've done on culture of confession you've been involved with some ministries in the past that have mm-hmm. been uh, geared towards helping those with addiction issues yeah and uh, through my work in therapy, uh, I've the part of my work at the internship side, I was focusing with uh, families struggling with addiction. And so here we are uh, both noticing there sure is a need for individuals, for couples, for families whenever addiction comes up. And, and many times uh, churches of Christ don't know where to go. Right. And we want to do what's right. Uh, you know, we don't want to maybe do something that, that uh, might put us at odds with what the Scripture says about the boundaries of church. And, and 
I'm not even certain we're really talking about that today. But mm-hmm. but as people seek help, they're trying to find ways that the church can be helpful, and they're also trying to find ways that they could find help if, if the church isn't available for them. Right. And so you had compiled the Michael Fancher 12-step program. Is that <laughs> Something what you call like it? that. No, I don't want to call it that. And, and, and I'll tell you why I don't want to call it that. Um, because I don't think it should be a... I don't think you should think of it as steps. That's not... Uh, I don't think that that's particularly helpful, especially because the reason that I'm kind of putting this uh, this idea, trying to flesh it out uh, more, is that I believe that everything that that I found in 12-step programs um, that I found to be helpful and that I found um, true and 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 good were, were things that uh, that were instructed for the church to be doing internally anyway. Sure and. And, and that's not an indictment that, that I feel like the church has dropped the ball necessarily. I mean, obviously, um, you know, there are church, churches are full of imperfect people doing imperfect things. Right. But, um, uh, but I think that uh, it is an area that we could definitely develop as far as the way our churches function and the, and the help that we can offer to yeah. people outside. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And I think sometimes we forget that um, that we've got to have found some hope, right. <laughs> you know, and uh, and and that people are should be seeing something in us that they want, and and I feel like some of that stuff that I learned in the twelve step programs would help to sure. foster that mentality, sure, and to uh, create a structure, not necessarily a structure, because I don't think it's something that you know your church has to be built this way, um, but I think it's concepts that I, that if people could. Um, could integrate into themselves personally and into the church as a body um, that it would be a more attractive place for people who are hurting and have struggles with not just um, you know substance abuse but uh, sexual addiction or um, or any number of just you know you struggle with greed or you struggle with pride you struggle with um, envy or you know anything sure that you're strugg- that sure. that you find is a perpetual thing that you know that this is a problem you st- you struggle with um, that though that these concepts are going to help lead you to be a more spiritual person, to mm-hmm. be more connected with your church family, to be, um, to to see um, the truth of the freedom that that is that we're supposed to have in Christ. I one of the things that has always made me excited about this program is, is some of the descriptions you just said, where it's not so structured that everybody's got to do it exactly this way. And I think that is a turnoff, especially for people that want uh, to have biblical authority for everything they do. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see like a quasi-secondary uh, organization that's coming up under the, the wing of the church. But but also, what I've found is that t- too much structure towards what I think is the most appropriate course of action actually doesn't translate very well into other people's Issues. So having it be at least um, nebulous enough to adapt to each addiction issue or, or each family struggle makes it seem more hopeful instead of us getting frustrated. Well, why can't they follow the steps like I laid it out? Right, you right. Know? So uh, in case a listener may not be very familiar with it, you said you don't really see it like steps. Um, it's going to be a little bit maybe less defined than that well what what is a step in in the step program like what what what's the intention of those and 
I think that uh, I think that the intention is good there. First sure. of all, I don't want to be I don't want to sound like I'm you know down on twelve step programs. I think they're very helpful for a lot of people, and I and I hope that people find healing through those if that's if that's the options that they have available to them. Um, but uh, but I don't I don't like especially if you're for my um, for my idea here. Uh, it's that it, this should be something internal to the church, and so I don't think it needs to be a step-by-step thing. I think, um, so a step in my mind would be that you do this thing, you complete this like, this process, and then you move to the next in the series of pro, uh, of things. Sure. But I, I, I think that each one of these things, and, and, and they'll tell you this is, this is true as well if you go through a 12-step program. They're big on, you know, it works if you work it kind of thing. And, and you always, you, you go back and you're, you're working the steps. You're always working the steps. So you right. don't stop working step one just because you're on step four or whatever. Right. Um, but uh, but I, I think thinking of it in, in a, as a, these are concepts that I add, that I need to add to my life. Like, um, you know, the, the Bible talks about add to your faith, virtue and the virtue, knowledge and the knowledge, temper. you know, like it goes through the list of things. It doesn't, it, it's not saying it doesn't use, use the idea of steps. It's, uh, it's a, it's a tower, you know, right. it's a structure that right. you're edifying. Right. And there are things that build upon each right. other until you have this and you can't just stop, you know, ignore the first floor after you're uh-huh. on the fourth floor of the structure uh-huh. or whatever. It's a, it's a process that's larger than, than, a, yeah. than a step. Oh, that to me, that makes total sense because similar, the five stages of grief, like uh, we think what traditionally they're taught is you're going to go through step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. So you might be at um, denial and then you'll move to anger and then to bargaining but the reality is they're all jumbled up and you know today i might be denying and then tomorrow i might be angry but then the next day i might be back to denying and right. so having the fluidity to go back and forth between steps i think is psychologically powerful right and it sounds like that's what you're saying with this this these putting them together and going through it together instead yeah. of it being only focusing on one at a time sure well i mean and my study of them has been kind of a one of a t- one at a time process but i don't want to present them it, I'm kind of trying to, you know, I, I think I, I talked to you about this. I'm trying to build a, a, uh, like a, I don't know, <laughs> a, a work pamphlet, book, uh, work study book, guide, study guide know. of some kind, something like that. And I'm not sure what form it's going to take, sure. you know, um, it may end up being an online something that we, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, the purpose of this podcast even is to help you express it so that <laughs> others can, I guess, uh, contribute. I think what will make your sure. work better is others who have experience in this. And so in a way, uh, you know, if the listener is here because maybe they have an addiction problem, they may leave feeling a little frustrated because you and I are really talking about how to help people with mm-hmm. addiction problems. So this is more for those, the helpers and the, sure. Um, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, maybe before we jump into your steps, the people who are, skeptical Mm -hmm. that we would even need this yeah and perhaps it's because they have been fortunate enough in their life to have never experienced anything that is has such a hold or a vice grip on them and so they just assume well why can't others be like me and uh, why can't they just not do it yeah right what would you say to folks uh who think and i'll just list a few off you know 
why do you struggle with alcohol? Uh, why do you find yourself unable to let go of this prescription drug that you have? Mm-hmm. Why can't you quit looking at pornography? Um, what is it about uh, this this rush that you get from either gambling or whatever sort of thing that gives you that high? Why can't you just stop doing it? It's I think it's easy for folks to just assume that you, you just turn off the switch. What would you say to those that might be skeptical? Well, um, I think a lot of the people that I've, at least in my experience, that that are skeptical of those things usually have never experienced a lot of those things, and which is great. I'm glad. Don't try drugs. That's <laughs> that's you know like don't don't get into it, and that's the best sure. way to to not to sure. be involved in it is to never get involved in the first place. But um, they don't understand the hold that these things can have on people. Um, but um, but I think everybody has to some degree some kind of vice. Uh, you know, sure. I mean, the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right. But the Apostle Paul says, you know, the things that I know to do, I don't do. And those things that I know I shouldn't do are the, exactly what I do. Right. And so I'm like, he's talking about the same kind of concepts, I think, that um, that these people are feeling. And I have a hard time feeling like everybody doesn't have something that they know that this is a, this is something that I want. And maybe I have the self-control to never indulge in it. Uh, but there's something that kind of, you know, check, you know, hits that spot right. for me that, uh, that if anything was going to get me, that's what it was. That's what it would be. So honesty and, it, and vulnerability would be needed. Sure. So, and and, and self-reflection. And people, uh, people think of things like drugs and alcohol and pornography and, you know, prescriptions and the gamut of addictions and they don't think about that in um in relation to uh, a lot of other vices that like gossiping or uh gluttony or you know just name any other thing that you could be doing wrong lying um, those are all things that uh you know they might not have the same uh chemical consequences in the brain but they have consequences and they are, can be addictive behavior mm-hmm. um and uh it's it's uh i think it's important that you realize that you know it might not be on the it might not manifest the same way for you uh but there's probably something in your life that could use attention yeah and um Absolutely. and it's the same concepts that help you get to the other side of that that help this person it just mm-hmm. might take some specialized care or accountability that you might not need to oh, do yeah. it well that makes me think of in first john 2 you know the three great categories of sin: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. And it, it it seems, and this is only based on experience, but it seems like the pride of life gets a free pass, right? Whereas the the shame and the guilt associated with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, in the eyes of Christians, those are the ones that ew. How can you have that problem? Whereas pride of life, well, you know that's that's just just talking. Yeah. That's just, you know, <laughs> right, thinking right. wrong. Well, at least we're not like less of the flesh and less of the eye. Exactly. Well, yeah, okay. Well, there's a there's a parable for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, you're absolutely right. And I, it's it goes back to, you know, um, you know, as somebody, I, I do, I struggle with food. And that's one of the, th- one of the things that I have a hard time with. Um, but it's something that's obvious. When somebody sees me, they know that I'm a person who struggles with, with food. Um, and I can't deny that I couldn't just, you know, that's, you know, it's a glandular condition, you know, whatever. I mean, sure. sometimes it is, sure. but that's not what I, that's not, that's not true for me. 
Um, so, so it's obvious. My one of the one of the things that I struggle with is very obvious to people, and I can't just walk up and and, and deny that it is. But something that there are other things that I struggle with that nobody would know mm. unless I shared it with them. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody would know unless um, unless I was caught in you know something or whatever. But there are certain things that we that people struggle with that. Um, are obvious and um, that other people struggle with something that's not as obvious and sometimes it's hard to reconcile that it doesn't um, seem fair it doesn't seem fair exactly yeah. that uh, that th- that the thing that I struggle with everybody can tell that I struggle with it but but then we see other people and it's it's hard to not be envious or jealous that that we don't have the same struggles that they do or at least the same you know outcome right. life outcomes that they right. have and the irony is that we're going to be talking about steps for people who have obvious problems. Right. Seems like we need to do a follow up for, you know, the Pharisees versus the publicans out there because it's this is an age old problem mm-hmm. where those who are able to mask their secret sins can get away with a whole lot more and kind of live a what seems to be a, a normal life, whereas the one who has the sin that's on full display, the publican mm-hmm. per se. Um, is called to make a lot of sacrifice and changes and, and are shamed and, and uh, ostracized if they don't do it as well as the Pharisee yeah. in that example is doing. But let's let's jump into it. Um, this, uh, you, you call it, you're, you don't want to use the word step, but there's not a whole lot of other words to maybe uh, give it that, the visual that we want. And so you're calling it a... Um, I don't know what we're we calling concept, it. Concept, I think, is what I've... What, <laughs> concept. That's where I've settled right now, but like I said, it's fluid. We're not. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. Okay. And would it be helpful if I just read it and you kind of explained it? Or uh, what, we, yeah, what's going to be the best way that. to structure this conversation? We could, we could do that. Um, matter of fact, I might want to pull it up so I'll remember what it was I was thinking about. Okay. Um. <laughs> You've got... You have an eight... Uh, at least there's eight um, numbers yeah. in this list. And then you've also got a... a sort of expectations or guidelines. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about eight steps in this program to help people who have um, either an addiction or some sort of a, a behavior issue that they would like to change. I really like the, the expectations or the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, so helpful. So I want to devote some time to that as sure. well, where maybe you can read through and explain why we set these expectations right. up. But uh, for for our listeners' sake, just to kind of structure out the next part of this conversation, uh, I'll share up one of the eight points and then have you kind of flesh it out. So, number one, recognize the problems and weaknesses within myself. That's the very first step in this concept. Right. What's going on there? Well, I, I think the Bible is very clear that um, being self-aware, being able to um, examine ourselves is something that we have to do. And I think that it is. It takes a uh, a conscious change of of mind set to, in order to do it and do it as a practice and to do it as a di- like as a daily discipline uh, or as a just a constant um, practice that we do in our lives because it's so tempting and it's been it's so the norm for for me and for I think for a lot of people 
to be critical of others and to see what's going on and what's wrong with the world around us and to forget and forgive ourselves for everything, you know? Um, and so I think that one, the very first step um, needs to be, and, you know, like, again, this is very, very based around like 12 step idea, 12 step program ideas, but it's all based in scriptural ideas is that we have to, we have to not be in denial that we have problems. It reminds me of Peter in, in the end of the gospel of John, mm-hmm. when Jesus three times says, do you love me? Yeah. And at, at the end of the third, when he immediately looks at the disciple whom Jesus loves and says, yeah, but what about him? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and to your point, I think there is a, an easier deflection to deflect onto others and to say, but what about them? Instead of to this first point's uh, message that I, I really, I just need to focus on my own problems and my weaknesses. Right. You've got a few additional questions uh, in your, your outline that mm-hmm. I think are relevant. So I'm going to read them. Sure. And then you can offer a comment. What sins, even little ones, do I commit on a regular basis? What sins, even ones that I've repented of, am I afraid that someone would find out about? And what relational difficulties do I experience with family, marriage, friends, lack of? So those are three questions to help motivate recognizing problems and weaknesses. What, what do you want these questions to do for someone? The, the, one of the concepts for this is to be able to do this program to go through this and create bonds and camaraderie and real connections among Christians in, in a congregational setting, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, around the idea that we're not as different from each other as we think we are. And so there might be the one who struggles with drug addiction and there might, there might be the one who struggles with, you know, pornography or sexual addiction. There might be the one who struggles with overeating. There might mm-hmm. be the one who struggles with envy and pride. And there might be the one who struggles um, with uh, lying or, you know, like I said, and the list could go on and on, whatever it is. But the idea is to identify within ourselves that every one of us is imperfect and every one of us is working toward the same goal. And um, it's important for us to recognize within ourselves that... Um, that we're sinners um, and that we have not achieved perfection yet. And so in order for us to, in order for me to have empathy with the guy who struggles differently than I do, I need to remember that I struggle as well. And, um, and so, and I think it's helpful in this stage of the process as somebody who might be struggling with something um, that is extremely detrimental and they need to get uh, serious help right away to start to to be very specific about what it is that's going wrong what it is I'm, what it, what it is it that I'm doing wrong um, and admitting that to ourselves like um, when I uh, when I would work with with um, people who were struggling with uh, drug addiction sometimes it was very hard to get them to admit that them doing drugs was a problem right and so this was kind of the idea behind this is to um, is to lead a person to the idea that yes there are things that I need to work on yeah and but everybody in the room should be answering these questions right so that we all understand there's a, there's something that we all need to be mm-hmm. work on working on and so while we might be in different points in our in our walk 
we might be struggling with completely different things, we can still be working together and functioning as a family and going through this stuff together. I have a scripture and a thought. Kind of unrelated. Uh, <laughs> a scripture is what makes me think about what you just talked about. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 16 about Paul being the chief of sinners mm-hmm. and how, let's see, uh, it says... I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. So the worst sinner became the best example. And uh, in your work and in works like this, to have enough empathy to say, I have fallen short of the glory of God. And so I'm here to help somebody else who's fallen short of the glory of God. What a, Instead of holding it over their head. Mm-hmm very important I'm thinking about the systemic view of therapy is what I've been trained in marriage and family therapists are trained in systemic uh, uh, systems theory and uh, first and second order change and that kind of stuff anyway uh, there's other phrases that I'm forgetting because I'm done with college and I don't <laughs> I don't need to study for a test anymore anyway right. but the point is problems are rarely so isolated outside of relationship rather it's because of relational issues that a lot of problems do come up and so what i find interesting is an addict who would think that they don't have a problem with the drugs and what you might find in that scenario and others is that there's a lot of family or work or friend issues and so the drug is the the means of coping with the problem sure and so you here you are trying you're just beating them over the head to stop doing this thing but if they don't work on the relational issue, the systemic interaction, then uh, they're just going to try to tra- they will transfer this coping mechanism from one thing to the next. Exactly. So getting to the heart of it is how do I relate to these people with whom presently it's so bad that I need to cope by by escaping right from that relationship. You have any thoughts on that before we? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's uh, that's part. I feel like the third question in those list of questions was kind of um, it's part of it's it's geared toward helping you codify, real realize, bring to li- bring to mind, and bring to light um, some of those issues. Like, mm-hmm. what am I using? Whatever this is, whatever sin that I'm engaging in, am I using it to med to self medicate yeah. because my relationships yeah. are broken, or? In addition to that, are the are the things that I'm doing causing additional wreaking additional havoc sure. in my relationships? Sure. Have it has it caused me to lose a job? Has it caused me to to be estranged from my parents or my spouse? Yeah. Well, the the restitution work that's done in addiction, uh, I think is is evidence that that our sins. You know, as as Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins the multitude oftentimes is stemmed from like you're throwing a rock in the, the pond and the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. I, I think of that rock as the sin in the life and the ripple effect. And so then the restitution work is, is your understanding. Oh my goodness. I never thought how, what I was doing affected so many people. Right. And, uh, it's healthy to do that work. Now we could spend way more time on it, but <laughs> I'm just for the sake of getting us, our listeners through this sure. podcast. The second part of uh, this system of helping others says, 
recognize God as the only one who can redeem me and restore me to holiness. And uh, I guess I'd like to offer, just as I read that, something that is different from AA or other places. Is I, I've noticed that you're referencing God directly instead of calling it just a higher power sure. or things like that. Is that intentional? Absolutely intentional. Okay. Um, I, I, in, I don't intend for this to be a program that I shop out to other people. This is... Um, this is a something that I hope is helpful to God's to to the people of God. Okay. So I'm I'm not pulling any punches with that. <laughs> well, it's good, sure. you know, because I think that's part of the hesitation that that our people have with sending family and friends to AA or other programs, because they're kind of like we're desperate, we they need help, but. Will we regret this down the road if something were to happen? And, and what you're, you're, although friends hear me when I say that I think that if somebody is having this much of struggle that uh, they need help and you shouldn't deny help just because somebody believes something doctrinally different than Absolutely. You. But I do like that you're taking into consideration that instead of tiptoeing around, it really is God yeah. who is the source. And uh, he's the one who's redeeming us and restoring us to holiness. Uh, let me read these questions and then give you the chance to comment because I kind of just read it and then commented on sure. it myself. <laughs> what do I do to, quote-unquote, make up for my sins and mistakes? Do I think that I have to be, quote-unquote, good enough to be saved? So, yeah, what, how does this step fit into the, the program? Um, I think that... Uh, as with a lot of addictions, and and when I use the word addictions, I'm talking about um, beyond all the things that we've talked compulsive about. Compulsive behavior. Any kind of compulsive behavior, any kind of sin struggle that you might have. Sure. Um, as with a lot of those, it is tempting to think that we can make it right, that we that that we can hide it well enough, or that we can make up for it in some way. Um, and if that were true, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? I mean, like if yeah. we could, if we yeah. could fix it on ourselves, if we could, if, if if we could be pure and blameless at the end of all of this, then then why did Jesus need to come? Um, and so that's so that's kind of what I'm leading people toward is the idea that you have once you've come to the realization that you have sins and you have problems and that you have things that you need to work on, um, you need to remember that it's God, that, that we are not holy in and of ourselves. Is right. anyone holy? No, not one. Right. But, um, we are, uh, but we are called to receive our holiness, to receive our righteousness, to receive all those, the good things that we have in Christ from our relationship with God through Jesus. Um, and so it, it's it's God who who makes us holy. Uh, we are not holy of our in and of ourselves, and we can't we can't get there by ourselves. Right. That's tough for some to hear, because even though we don't practice a works based faith, we're so maybe concerned with what grace could be if we turn it into a grace only salvation sure. that we think we don't want that at all. But I think this is a very biblically balanced view. I can't save myself. Right. Even if I got baptized without faith, I can't save myself. I'm just getting wet. Yeah, and before anybody turns the podcast off, this this is not where it ends. There's some things for us to Correct. do. 
Correct. <laughs> this is not a, you know, God's going to fix it all for you right. uh, program, because I don't think that's scriptural either. Yes. I want to read a, I was trying to find a quote while you were saying that. Uh, I'm reading a book about leadership, and uh, I feel like it really fits with what you just said. So I'm going to read a quote. It says, the self, it's talking about prayer. Mm-hmm. The self-sufficient do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. The self-satisfied will not pray. They have no knowledge of their need. The self-righteous cannot pray. They have no basis on which to approach God. Mm-hmm. A true leader knows his needs and is ready to humble himself before the one who alone is sufficient to hear him. And I feel like, well, it's kind of true. Yeah. And for the people that uh, aren't willing to get along, get on board with step two of your program, which is that God is the one who is uh, able to save, then their struggle is maybe with idolatry, and they're the idol. Yeah, the self-righteousness is the idol. They sure. need to humble themselves and get off the throne of their heart. Right, and 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 any time that we're trying to fix it ourselves, most likely what that look, ends up looking like is a lot of the same stuff that got us there in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, like the whole idea of self-medication. If I can fix it myself, well, what? If I could fix it myself, I'd have fixed it already, right? <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, that's sure. <laughs> that, that's a lot of the concept. But, I mean, like what us trying to fix the problems in our life is usually what got us into the situation exactly. we're in in the first place. Michael, that is a systemic view of yes. how relationships and issues work. I Thank love you. It. I'm glad I passed the test. Yes. You, can, you too can now be a marriage <laughs> and family therapist. Uh, number three, truly examine myself and my past behaviors and experiences. Make a list of the things that have, that impact my thinking, my beliefs, and my actions. Um, what what is this list about? What what would you have me do? Well, um, you know, in twelve step programs, this is what they call an inventory. Okay. But really, what this is is a revisiting of the concept of self um, of um, self examination. Okay. Um, but it's doing it in a systematic way. It's doing it in a way that like really can help us to reveal some of the patterns of behavior in our life, uh, can reveal some of the motivations and influences that, mm-hmm. that have, um, that have led us to the, to where we are. Um, and I, I think again, very biblical concept to be, to be a person who is, uh, who, who takes account of their steps and their ways. And, um, is it better to do it alone or with a, a friend or do you um, have any thoughts on that? I think doing it in and of itself is helpful. Um, but I think that, um, in, in every instance that I've done it, um, it's always been under the supervision of, uh, what they call a sponsor. Okay. Um, but it, it would be somebody who in the, you know, would be a a mentor type relationship. It's easily a relationship that we need to be having with people in the church anyway. Sure. Older women, older men teaching the younger men, older women teaching the younger women, that kind of those kinds of relationships elderships leading a congregation and shepherding their flock sure those are the kind of relationships we need and doing something like this under the supervision of somebody like that who then goes through that list with us and kind of fleshes it out because it's real easy to make the list and then just say we're done with it but sometimes we really need to talk it out and bounce it off of somebody else to uh to fully flesh out what it is that that we've been through and how that's affected us then this inventory of my of my past um, behaviors, experiences, thinking, beliefs, 
is there something cathartic about writing it down versus just talking about it? Uh, I think that it is helpful to have it written down only because um, when you can look at it, you know, it's like the old, uh, (laughs) they, uh, the, the the movie trope where the guy has a million they're investigating somebody and they have a million pictures and strings running between things oh, on the cork board okay. you can start seeing connections you can start yeah. seeing patterns yeah. that unless you can hold all that information in your brain at the same time right which i mean maybe maybe some sherlock people can do holmes that can. yeah exactly but i'm not sherlock holmes <laughs> right you don't have a mind so, palace so it's helpful for me to write it all out to uh-huh. have it recorded somewhere yeah and um the, the first time i did it i did it in a spreadsheet and I, well, I, you know, there, there were keywords, you know, if you wanted to just search through it, you could sort it and, you yeah. know, find patterns yeah. that really were helpful to, um, to, to revealing what it is, like what it is I've been doing yeah. that, uh, might not have seemed like sinful behavior, but it was mm-hmm. leading me to, t- mm-hmm. to something that was detrimental. Let me share this because I, I feel like, again, it validates the, the, the theory behind this. So in uh, whether it be couples therapy or family therapy or even pre-marriage, I do pre-marriage counseling with young kids in the church. I do something called a genogram. You ever mm-hmm. f- familiar with that? No, that's not one I've heard. Okay, so a genogram is like a family tree, but instead of it just being you're related to so-and-so, it's like a relationship family tree. So you have lines going from each person, and there's a little key at the bottom, and like two lines means it's a healthy relationship. Oh, my. A, a, a zigzaggy line means it's a <laughs> hostile relationship. Yeah two lines mean the relationship severed you know like so right but you talk about the let's say it's a young kids in the church have come and asked me to do pre-marriage counseling with them so they think we're going to open up the bible and get started well we do but the very first thing we do is i sit and one at a time i'll say uh who are your parents what's your relationship like with them do you mm-hmm. have siblings what's your relationship like with them grandparents we go back we try to do three or four generations of it wow because you look for patterns yeah Many times, and especially with you know young folks who maybe are just starting to think about that kind of thing, many times it's just we're good, everything's great. Yeah. However, every now and then you do come across maybe a pattern. There's in the greater family, there's a there's a lot of divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of broken relationships. Where people aren't talking to each other. There yeah. is addiction. And so what I'm able to do is we have this this chat for about 20 minutes, and I turn it around and show them, and I say, based on what you've just said, I think something in your relationship that we want to take account over is that you have a problem trusting men. Look at these relationships that were divorced. Look at this person and this person and how they're no longer in the family. Will you know to a young lady? Will you be able to submit to this man as a as a godly husband? Uh, or are there things that have taught you to do something differently? Anyway, I, I bring it up only to say it seems like writing it out and then showing an inventory, the pattern of it would yeah. be a very powerful image. Oh, it, very, it very much is. And writing it out and just listing it out is, is helpful in and of itself. Um, there are more, there's more to at least the way I was taught to do an inventory because what you want to do is not only just write it out, you want to take do some some level of analysis on okay. each thing. Like how, so how would you do that? What would what we were taught to do was that you um, list the person and the incident, what it was that happened. Uh, you then list the emotions that you felt in that moment. Right. Um, you make a list of what you believed in the moment about yourself or about them, um, and then you continued to write okay was what i wrote 
true or was what I believe true? And if it wasn't, is there a, a, a godly scriptural truth that it, that should counter what, what that, how that hurt me yeah, and what it caused me to believe? And, uh, so, so it, in addition to the pattern recognition, there's a lot of, you know, processing and healing that you can do in this process. Michael, this sounds like hard work. It is. <laughs> it, it sounds is. like I'm not going to, res- I'm not going to do all these steps in one meeting. Absolutely not. No, this is, well, ultimately this needs to, it, 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 it can be a lifestyle change. Um, and that's, that's, um, it, ch- it can change the, the culture of a community. Sure. Um, if, if it's, I, I hope anyway that it could, or that something like this. And, and I, and I don't want to think, I want to be sure that people understand that, that, that this is me trying to parse my understanding of, of one of the ways scripture can help us because yeah. none of this is me coming up with it on my own. And I don't want to do anything extra biblical. It's one of the reasons that I only have eight concepts rather than 12 <laughs> steps is because I felt, well, I, I personally felt like some of those things were not necessary. Sure. And, and they weren't, they, they wouldn't work in the context of a congregation or a, com, a community right. of believers. Right. Um, well, you, yeah. I refer to this kind of stuff as wisdom. Yeah. You know, God gives us, you know, wisdom is knowledge applied. And so we have the scriptures, uh, and God gives us the wisdom to apply the scriptures. You know, mm-hmm. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 about um, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do I do that? How do I renew my mind? But this actually encourages me because renewing my mind is in a, a 15-minute meeting where we blow through these eight steps. What you're suggesting is uh, if I've got some serious work to do, it might be a commitment that lasts weeks or months or mm-hmm. years but I'm desperate, you know, in this scenario, I'm desperate to change. I'm willing to, to do anything. Well, I'm going to renew my mind through a slow process. And it seems like this inventory is going to take a little bit of time. It absolutely is. As a matter of fact, uh, when through the 12 step programs that I program, I only did one um, that I went through, um, we would do what's called a step study. And which is you go through the 12 steps in depth with a sponsor, with someone leading the group of people through the through the literature sure. and to do all the steps and to at least show that you've been working the steps through the, through all this um and they they would tell you if you are committing to a step study that you need to to realize that you're making a 6 to, uh, 6 to 12 month commitment yeah because it, different groups grow at different paces obviously and this uh the the inventory step the part where you're actually breaking down this is a lot of the hard work mm. is or this is let me rephrase that this is the beginning of the hard work sure um sure. a lot of the stuff is real realizations and concepts but w- this is where you start getting down to the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. of of uh, putting in time and effort yeah. into this process well i tell my clients sessions one two three it's really easy you're just coming in here and we're getting to know each other it's session four five six where that's when i'll start asking the poignant questions to right to do the work and the work begins yeah uh, so it, that, that that connection is interesting um so let's see number four yeah number four confess not just my sin but my temptations and those things that have harmed me to god and to someone else why would I do that? And why not just talk about the things I did that was wrong? Why do I need to bring temptations up? Well, you got to come back next week if you want the answer to that question. And I really think you 
should come back because the answer to that question and so much more continues in this conversation about overcoming addiction. It's just a really, really helpful, healthy conversation about things that maybe at times uh, we as Christians are overwhelmed to think um, that we can make a difference or that we can be helpful to others whenever there are compulsive behavioral issues and addictions that maybe we don't have a lot of experience with. I just want to encourage you, even if you don't have personal experience with it, to be an ally and a friend and a brother and sister in Christ to someone who's going through a very, very dark time in their life, when they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that there's nothing to fear with the Lord on our side. But part of the Lord being on our side is having the Lord's people to walk through it with us. So I really want you to think about these things over the week and then come back next week and join us as we continue in the discussion. So uh, until then, you can go to the website and you can check out the resources that are there to use and download absolutely free. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon.